welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. One of the things that we've been trying to do throughout this series, uh, uh, where we've been looking at uh, how do we uh, live out our, our everyday life in mission or on mission uh, for the kingdom of God, is we want to hear stories of people that are doing it. And so today, we're super excited, super excited that we have Chellis is going to come and tell us a little about what she feels God has been doing through her. Come on down, come on down. This is, this is where I talk until you get settled. We are, have a seat, uh, so we get to hear a little bit about uh, what God's been doing uh, through Chellis. So Chellis, uh, uh, welcome. Deep breath. Uh, there you go. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit about your time here at Oak Hills, how you got here. Um, so I'm going to try to remember to keep the mic by my chin. Good for you. And um, you might have to remind me. Yeah, I'll just so do I'm this. super nervous, so please excuse me. Um, but I'm excited to be here, and I feel blessed to be able to be up on stage with you guys right now. So um, I, my first experiences with Oak Hills was at the Women and Children's Center at um, PTC, mm-hmm. um, where volunteers would come and bring us meals and eat dinner with us and cook with us and just... Uh, it started building relationships there. And then shortly after Steph came on staff about, um, about, woo, yeah. yeah there, there, uh, was, there was yes. a woo-hoo that was supposed to be there. Uh, um, about mid-2019, um, there was opportunity to come help serve at a memorial service here. And in, in that, it really, like, sparked my curiosity of Oak Hills. And then I came to a, a couple of services, and I was just like, for the first time in my life, I felt like in a church that this is where I'm supposed to be. And very cool. I've been here ever since. Yeah, well, good. You're very, very happy that you've been here ever since. So uh, tell us a little bit about where you work. Uh, you've been feeling God moving through through what you're doing uh, for work. So tell us about where you work and what you do. So I work at Sierra Pregnancy and Health in Roseville. Um, we are an alternatives pregnancy center. Um, so we offer free medical services for pregnancy tests, ultrasounds, STI um, testing for men and women, and then also other things like free parenting classes, um, uh, labor and delivery class, um, and, and reproductive grief care for anybody that has experienced any kind of miscarriage or abortion or um, infertility, and that's for men and women. Very cool. Um, yeah. And, and just a little plug, uh, the Sierra Pregnancy and Health Center is kind of the recipient of our giving project for our, for our Advent Festival. So not only for the Advent Festival do you get to come and be a part of this huge party, but you get to go shopping for baby stuff and bring it to the like. So if that wasn't fun enough, so you can do. So we're doing a giving project with them. You can get more information about that on the website and stuff. But anyway, so back to you. Just one more piece. Yes, please. Um, so what we but what we do not do is we don't refer out for abortions. But what we do is we educate women on the effects of abortion and. And help them to know that we are here to support them and walk with them through their pregnancy and beyond. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, uh, so tell us a little bit about how you feel God using you there and kind of what you see God doing. So, 
I really struggled with feeling like are the gifts that I have that he's blessed me with enough. Mm -hmm. So being a good listener and being able to show like compassion and kindness to others, like are those really enough? Like is and so being at Sierra Pregnancy and Health, those are definitely things that um, that are valued there. Mm -hmm. And meeting with women coming in that have an unplanned pregnancy and are scared or carrying heavy burdens and just being able to be there and love on them and support them and, and listen to them yeah. has really been growing me and my gifts and making me like, okay, my gifts are enough. Yeah, so you're yeah. seeing God use you and actually make an impact in people's life. Yes. You, in kind of our previous conversation, you had kind of this vision of a kind of this image of soil stuff which is really cool so you got to remember to tell them about that so as i've been reflecting on like where i am at and my own spiritual um, growth and where i'm at with the lord i get this vision of a garden but it's not a garden yet it's like it's just the bare land and in that like you have to do dig up the roots and get the rocks out and get the ground ready to be tilled and turning of the soil and i feel like that's really where I'm at with the Lord. Um, he's tilling the soil in me and growing and giving me the nutrients for something bigger yeah. and growing me in my gifts so that I don't know what it is, but it's for something big. Yeah. And, and the cool yeah. part about that, though, is that even though you're not a garden yet, right, you're right. still in all that process. God's still using you to bless other people. Yes. Right? And so you're still, you're still being able to be a blessing to others and minister to them, even while God is working on you and yes. this whole process thing, which is very, very cool. So, well, thanks so much for sharing uh, your story a little bit. Let me uh, pray for you. Would you guys uh, just extend a hand out as we pray for Chellis and her ministry and her work? God, we just thank you so much for Chellis and what you've done in her life and, and the journey that you have around the process, the tilling and the, and the garden that you are building in her. And God, we thank you also for how you're using her to build gardens in other people's lives. And so we do pray for words. We pray for discernment for her. We pray for uh, compassion that would flow uh, and that uh, her, your love for the people that she uh, ministers to and works with, that that would just flow freely and that uh, your kingdom would extend into other people's lives through her. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you, Chellis, for, for taking that risk and sharing your story with us. It's super, super exciting to hear. And I know it's not necessarily easy. Um, we're, uh, we're continuing on in our series that we've been calling Home for the Holidays. Uh, this is a, a part two of our family home message where we're dealing about mission uh, to people in our house, and uh, last week Mike talked a little bit about marriage and how that all kind of coordinates with uh, our homes being missional outposts. Today we're talking about kids and parents, and uh, so if you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22, we're going to start reading in verse 3, and then if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. 
And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but um, where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. It's the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? So, Father, we ask that you would give us your eyes and your heart for our children. As we journey together to serve you, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In the summer of 1971, a young couple in their 20s packed up their three-year-old daughter and their eight-month-old son and set off on a summer missions trip. They had been feeling called to career missions, and so this was kind of a a survey trial, sort of see-how-it-goes kind of experience for them. Uh, And so they went down to the Mexicali Valley, and it's routinely 110-plus degree temperatures where they proceeded to spend the summer in a 15-foot trailer uh, with their two kids and no air conditioner. Unaccustomed to the insanely high temperatures of the area and really ill-equipped to deal with them, they suffered severely through that summer, none more than uh, the, their poor infant son, who over the course of the summer became severely dehydrated to the point where uh, they feared for his life and they rushed the baby to the hospital. They got him there. The child was at death's door. The doctors proceeded to poke him with needles in order to supply him with the intravenous fluids in an effort to save his life. His parents looked on powerlessly, powerlessly, hoping, praying that their son's life would be spared. Well, lucky for them, and really for the world in general, I survived. Yeah, I didn't see that choice, did you? It was dramatic. Okay. And apart really from a general dislike for the desert, I'm pretty much fully recovered. At least the doctors say that I am much better now uh, from that early childhood trauma. That little adventure, though, was my introduction to being what is known uh, as a missionary kid, MK for short. A term used to describe children whose parents have responded to a call to full-time missions. Just a couple years after that summer, my parents returned to Mexicali where they embarked on their lives as full-time career missionaries. They were just convinced that this is what God had called them to do. And of course, since God had called them, well, that meant my, my sister and I, you know, were coming too. And it's fascinating that, you know, when parents uh, are called to the mission field, they normally go through this extensive uh, discernment process with friends and mentors that are helping them think through. They go through training and education, so they have a clear sense of what is 
God is calling them to do specifically. But not their kids. The parents, you know, have been called to mission. And in their active obedience to God, well, the kids are coming along for the ride. Nobody asks the kids. At least, you know, not really. Same is true, by the way, of my kids. Uh, my kids, though, aren't missionary kids. My kids are what is known as pastor kids. PKs, for short. Kids who grow up in a family where their parents serve as pastors in a church. Their experience, though, is very Similar, they don't get a choice whether or not to be pastor's kids. Uh, Their parents are obeying God, uh, and so they're along for the ride. My kids don't have a choice in whether or not I'm a pastor. You don't have a choice. They don't get to decide what Carol and I are called to do. They didn't get to choose whether or not to be adopted into a pastor's family. They just woke up one morning and... That is what they were, pastor's kids. And these identities, these descriptors, pastor's kids, missionary kids, they are well known in the Christian world, uh, really, in the world of Christian psychology, especially uh, in finally, there's like full-on profiles for them and care structures set up there because there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of pressure involved with being child uh, of parents who are called into mission for the kingdom of God. It's not always easy to be dragged along with your parents' missional adventures all the time. And, of course, you know, for those compassionate folks of you that are sitting here and listening to us, uh, you're probably nodding your head and saying, yes, that must be very hard for your kids. But not so fast. You see, one of the truths that we have been exploring is that Jesus calls all of his disciples to be on mission for his kingdom. The command from Jesus to go and make disciples, to teach everyone to follow his ways, that's not something that he just said to a few specialized folks who were going to take on that call as their, you know, nine to five career sort of job. He said that to everyone. All who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ are called into mission full time in their life. It's the idea that is really at the heart of this series where we are seeking to learn how to make our homes missional outposts for the kingdom of God. And once we recognize and respond the call Roy responded to the call for our homes to be missional outposts. Well, you know what that means. That means that all of our kids are pastor kids and missionary kids, PKs and MKs, whether they realize it or not. Our call to mission, our obedience to the call, directly includes them. Like, I wonder, really. What was going through Isaac's mind that morning when he and his dad loaded up the donkey for this trip? Passage that we read at the beginning of the message tells the story of, you know, what is this great act of obedience that, you know, Abraham took? 
first three verses of Genesis 22 tell us uh, what God had told Abraham, that God had told Abraham to take your son, your only son, the one you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, uh, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. That's what Abraham heard from God. But you see, Isaac didn't know that. Abraham's on this journey of obedience to God. He's taking this great step of faith in God. Isaac isn't. Isaac just following his dad. Like, his dad probably had to wake him up in the morning because, no, you're too early. Come on, let's go. I don't want to get... And this is what it's like for our kids. When we choose to embark on mission for the kingdom of God, when we choose to dedicate our, ho- our house, our weekends, our home to mission, we may be taking these great steps of faith and obedience, but so are our kids. Only they may not know it. And from an outside perspective, uh, even sometimes from an inside perspective, this can be thought that, you know, it will seem really unfair. It might seem even cruel to be subjecting our kids to mission without their consent. It's like, you know, we parents may be on mission, but it's their life that is getting sacrificed here. Their rooms being shared, their privacy being invaded, their weekends being disrupted, their activities being rescheduled. I mean, imagine reading the story about Abraham and Isaac through the eyes of a child welfare worker. I mean, she'd be freaking out, really. They'd be freaking out just at the idea that we would actually even teach this story to our children in the first place. The idea of a father walking up a hill to sacrifice his son is not what most people would think of as a pleasant bedtime story. Seems cruel. As if Abraham here is blindly disregarding his son's safety, his son's life, just so that he could be obedient to what he thought God was calling him to. And it can feel that way. When we take seriously God's call to mission in our lives and homes. Like, how could we do that to our kids? How could we force this on them? Shouldn't we put them, their concerns, their development before all else? Shouldn't they be our first and most important missional focus? Of course, the answer to that is yes! When we decide to live on mission for God, the mission starts. It starts with those people in our home. It starts with the person that we're married to, as Mike pointed out last week. And for those of us who have kids, it starts with our kids. Nothing is more important to us than our kids. Introducing our kids to the reality of the kingdom of God is the most important thing that we will do in our parenting life. And so we work hard at it. We work hard at teaching and modeling and taking them to church. And we teach them the stories of the Bible, even the ones about them getting sacrificed. We pray for them every day. Because we're just convinced. We're convinced that 
our kids are gifts to us from God. Like, we're just convinced that He has entrusted us with these lives because they are essential to what God has planned for the world, for the universe. We would never do anything that would put them at risk. As far as we're concerned, really the future of the human race hinges on these four lives or however many you happen to have in your house that God has entrusted us with. Which is, by the way, what Abraham believed about Isaac. Abraham had heard God's promise that he and Sarah, against all, you know, natural indications, would have a child. Abraham knew for a fact that Isaac was a miracle. God had specified that his promises to Abraham, that God's promises to the whole world flowed through Isaac. There's like no plan B here. And this is precisely why Abraham agreed to go along with this whole idea in the first place. Uh, we don't read about this in, in, in Genesis, but if later on the author of the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews eleven seventeen, 17, uh, tells us a little bit about what was going on in Abraham's mind as he is doing this, as he's walking up this hill with his son. Uh, Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, the reason Abraham was willing to step into what God was calling him to do it wasn't because he didn't care about Isaac. It wasn't that Isaac was expendable in Abraham's mind. In fact, it was precisely because he did care. And what's more, he believed that God cared for Isaac. That however important and precious Isaac was to Abraham, he, he knew that he was even more precious to God. And so really, Isaac was the safest when Abraham was busy acting in obedience to God. The same is true for our kids. And as much as we want to protect them, as much as we want to steer them away from difficulty, as much as we want to shield them from the messiness of life and the dangers of this world, they are the safest when we as parents are being obedient to God. And when we dedicate our home to mission, we are able then to model for them the basic reality of the kingdom of God, that it is not just something that exists for our consumption, for our benefit. Our mission is not to teach our children that God has constructed the world or their life just to all revolve and center around them. But in reality, our mission with our children is fulfilled when we train them that God has a place for them in his mission as well. 
I mean, it's a principle that proves true in every single context, and every person who has ever attempted mission to people who are outside the family of God. Ask anybody, they'll tell you. Our kids are an essential piece of the team. We literally cannot do it without them. It's definitely true in Carolyn in my life. Not just in my work as a pastor, but even more specially in the missional efforts that we have made out of our home. After we adopted our third child, Elijah, uh, we felt God calling us to continue to offer our home to kids in crisis. And so for the next 10 years or so, we, we were an active uh, uh, foster home, foster care family, uh, where on a regular basis, our kids would come home from school to find a new child in our home. And automatically, they just had to adjust. Which, by the way, you guys were amazing at it. Uh, they were magnificent. At the drop of a hat, they were sharing their toys, they were sharing their rooms, they were sharing their parents. They were essential pieces of our team that were caring for kids, comforting them, making them feel safe. I mean, imagine you're a kid that's been ripped out of your home and you come into this other house and this is the first face you see. My kids were there. To, no, no, it'll be okay. Trust me, it will be okay. And they did this all with very little input into the process. And that's true for any expression of mission that operates out of our homes. True, try to do something to build the kingdom out of your house. Your kids are going to be a part of it. And so engaging them in the process is important. And I don't say this because this is something Carol and I have always done well. I mean, you can ask my kids if you want. They have plenty of stories where they were just thrust into mission without any forewarning. But I know that in the times that we have had the conversations with them, where we have taken the time to help them understand why we're doing the things that we were doing, help them find a role in what it was that we were doing, that at least, at least that gave them a reason, gave them an explanation for all the disruption that they were experiencing. In other words, in our missional efforts, we need to take the time to cast vision to our kids for what we are doing. If it's our conviction that our home is to be a missional outpost for the kingdom of God, then we need to take the time to communicate that to our kids. You know, just think back at all the time that you've spent uh, in your job and whatever corporate setting that you're at. at you know, there's these retreats and huge vision, uh, huge emphasis on vision statements and the branding for the vision statement, the posters and the swag and the mugs with the thing on it and, the, you know, all this rah-rah thing just to pump up the employees to take this next hill for the company. And companies do that. Why? Well, because it works. That if you are effective in communicating your vision to your team, that raises the possibility that you might actually achieve it. And I know for me, sometimes I just forget to do that with my kids. Sometimes I forget to take the time and make the effort to explain to them why it is that we do what we do. What we hope to accomplish in and through our home. And when they happens, when that happens, they end up having to do all this work, experience all this disruption, 
without really knowing why they're having to do it. Like, there's no indication in Genesis that Abraham told Isaac what this whole trip was about. Even though, by the way, if you read the details, it seems to me that Isaac is doing all the work. I mean, he's the one that's carrying up the wood for the sacrifice. That's the heavy stuff. I mean, Abraham got to carry the cool stuff, like the knife and the fire. I mean, like, if you're going to carry something. And I'm not judging Abraham, you know, like he should have had this whole conversation with Isaac about the fact that they're marching up this hill so that he could sacrifice him there. I mean, that would have been an awkward conversation to have with your son. And I don't know if Isaac would have necessarily gone along with the whole thing or what would have happened. But... You know, what if Abram had talked to Isaac? What if he had taken the time to bring him in on this whole marching up the hill experience? Well, then this event wouldn't have just been a huge step of faith and obedience for Abraham. It would have been one for Isaac as well. Which is what I want for my kids. And I know it's what you want for yours. Not just that they go along obediently with all of our missional attempts, but that somewhere along the way, our attempts would then also become their attempts. That somewhere along the line, the kingdom mission would not just be something that is thrust upon them, but that they would own and participate in so that someday, ultimately, our kids can get commissioned and sent out from our home on a mission of their own. Which, you know, hasn't been necessarily the norm in our culture. You see, the Christian movement over the last couple hundred years in the West, you know, we've had so much money, so much influence, the church mission has become a career. It's like uh, among the traditional things that you could grow up to do, like, you know, practice law or medicine or the trades or business. Church work was one of them. Now, in general, church work hasn't paid as well as the other careers. So many parents, Christian parents, would actually steer their kids away from living on mission. You know, out of fear for their livelihood. There's been this sense, even among Christian parents, that mission is... Best left to the professionals and don't be one of those professionals because, you know, you might not make it. These are things that I've actually heard from kids in ministries that I've been a part of. Kids in my youth group, Christian parents telling their kids, take care of yourself first. And then, you know, then you can worry about, you know, doing stuff for God if you want. And so it should be no surprise that now, after decades of that, we have created this definition of Christianity that sees kingdom mission as an option, where there's this version of following Jesus that just involves your own personal relationship that's only for your own benefit, which, not surprisingly, our kids are going, well, that's okay, but I'm good. And so our kids are leaving the faith. They don't see the point. But that life is not what the Bible calls discipleship to Jesus. And so if we're serious about our kids being our first missional focus, if our kids becoming disciples of Jesus is really our first priority in life, 
Well, then preparing to commission them on their own life mission has to be a part of what we raise them to do. Because yes, maybe Abraham could have done a better job of communicating his plan for their day to Isaac, but the fact that he brought him along on his own journey of obedience, it meant that at the end of the day, whether Isaac realized it or not, Isaac actually had his own encounter with God. And that encounter propelled Isaac's own obedience to God's call. So yes, being serious about our home being a missional outpost for the kingdom of God will have direct implications for our kids. It may get in the way of their plans. It may not be something that they necessarily are that fired up about at first or even ever. But if we are serious about modeling our faith, modeling to them what it means to be a a disciple of Jesus, then we have to also be serious about modeling what it means to be on mission for him. We must be purposeful in casting a vision for them so that they know what's happening. They can actually choose to step in and willingly participate if they want to. Because you see, bringing them along with us on mission. It is in the end an essential part of us fulfilling our mission to them. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? So God, we pray for the kids in our church. We could pray for the parents in our church. God, we recognize that we live in a world that is in desperate need of an accessible model of your kingdom. And so we just pray that our families, kids and parents, that we would be examples of that. That as we live out our mission together with our kids, that that would be an effective expression to a hurting world that there is life in you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our homes with your presence. Not just so that our days go by smoothly and we don't get into fights with each other, but you would fill our homes with your presence so that every friend, every person that walks by our house, that walks into our house, that experiences our family, can experience you. And can be saved by that experience. We pray this in Jesus' name.